up here at Grafted, um, and just like you, I am a sinful and corrupt collegian trying to figure out life, trying to figure out how to make adult decisions, and trying to avoid the coronavirus, um, and longing, longing to conform more into the image of Jesus Christ. It's a reason why our college ministry exists, to help college students know Jesus Christ, and we do that through our radics, our midweek Bible study. We do that through these Friday nights, our study nights, our campus evangelism, our outreach events, our service opportunities. And I pray that tonight's time in the Word would help us to do just that, to come to know Jesus Christ better. But first, I want to ask you a question. How do you wake up in the morning? How do you wake up in the morning? I was in Lake Tahoe with the boys a couple of weeks ago, and it was seriously one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in my life. Um, Our hotel was right in the middle of the mountains next to the ski lift. There was these beautiful, beautiful big trees scattered all over the place. Uh, The air was fresh and crisp and cold, uh, and there was a lot of snow. Although I guess there wasn't as much snow as usual, but it was still beautiful. And I remember my first morning waking up there. And besides the fact that Nick snores and talks in his sleep, it was one of the best mornings ever. Watching the the sun rise over the snowy mountains was something no picture could justify. And it almost, it almost beats waking up by the beach in San Diego with the waves crashing And the ocean breeze going through the window. It almost beats that. (laughs) Uh, But how do you wake up in the morning? I have uh, memories from my childhood of when we would go to Disneyland. And Disneyland, for me as a child, was the best thing in the world. It's all I ever wanted in life. Um, And so if I knew we were going, I would wake up super, super early before anybody else naturally. Right? Because of my excitement, my anticipation. And I would naturally wake up as the happiest kid on earth, uh, with the biggest smile on my face, as I put my Disney lanyard on with my pins. I had like a little scrapbook with different pins in there. And so I would switch them out, like see which ones I wanted to trade. My Disney ears, uh, my Yoda backpack. Um, And so those were the best mornings, Disney mornings. And I would wake up naturally. Um, Of course, it didn't last long, though, because along with me waking up uh, in excitement, I would always, without fail, throw up because of how excited I was, Uh, either in the car or before we left. It ruined everything. Um, But don't you just love those mornings when you wake up naturally and you wake up super happy and energized and excited for the day, right? Those are the best mornings. Uh, And then, of course, there are those mornings before school or work when we need like 10 different alarms to wake up, you know, like the one at 6 a.m., then 6.05, 610, 611, 612, 613, 614. Uh, and then we finally wake up wanting to rip our ears off, right? And we, we roll out of bed. We drag our feet as we get ready. And all of a sudden, it's don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. Don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. Um, right? Does that sound familiar to you? If we have something in the day that we're excited about, we'll wake up happily and with all the energy in the world. But if we're waking up to go to school, just remember, don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. And so this question of how we wake up in the morning is actually an excellent illustration for our Christian lives. Uh, Because Paul in Romans chapter 13 is about to urge us to wake up from our spiritual apathy 
and as we near the end of our age and as Christ is about to return. Some Christians are awake and alert spiritually and others are drifting along and basically asleep in the cause of Christ. But which one are you? If you're new with us, we're taking a break from our study in the book of Revelation, but our passage tonight in Romans chapter 13 directly relates to what we've been studying, uh, preparing for the end when Christ will return. And it's important to know the details of his return, what exactly will happen, but I'd say it's even more important to know what we should be doing now in preparation for his return. So turn with me to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. We'll be focusing mostly on verses 11 through 14, but we must start at verse 8 in order to understand the context. Romans chapter 13. Verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Do this, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Again, this passage has rocked my soul. It has caused me to tremble in fear of the Lord. It has forced me to closely evaluate my own faith and love for Christ and my neighbor. And I pray it will do the same for you. Here are two reasons why I think you should listen tonight. Number one, because the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. And our passage today warns us that that day is closer than when we believed. Number two, the Bible calls us to constantly evaluate our faith. And I would be ignoring the danger of some of our souls being cast into an eternal hell if I didn't warn you to evaluate your faith tonight, especially while learning that the, the Lord will return at literally any moment now. So hopefully you're still in Romans 13. Let me read to you again the context and foundation of our message tonight. In verse 8, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So point number one, the foundation to love. The foundation to love. How many of you guys have heard of this book called The New City Catechism? I don't know if we have this in our library. No? No. Sorry. Uh, but it's a really good book. It's a collection of 52 questions 
and answers related to God, human nature, sin, Christ, the Holy Spirit, and more. And it's designed for memorization and aimed at reintroducing the ancient method of teaching catechisms to Christians today. Um, Anyways, all this to say that this is a great book. You should buy it. You should read it. And it helps us memorize essential truths like this. Question seven asks, what does the law of God require? What does the law of God require? And your answer for memorization is personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. That we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. What God forbids should never be done and what God commands should always be done. So what does the law of God require? The law of God requires love. Look down at verse 8. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Verse 10. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And this points us back to Matthew chapter 22, when the Pharisees are testing and trying to trick Jesus. And they ask him this, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Verse 37, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So here we affirm that the law of God cannot be detached from who God is. And who is God? God is love. It's the basis of every commandment. And therefore, if we lack in love, we fail to obey the rest of his commandments for us. And this is the reason why we start here tonight, not because love is my favorite attribute, and I'll try to sneak it into every sermon I preach, but because love is the foundation of who we are as believers in Christ. It is the basis of the first and second greatest commandments ever given to us to to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And there is not one law that is greater than the other, because if we fail to love the Lord our God, then we fail to love our neighbor as well. And vice versa, if we fail to love our neighbor, then we are essentially failing to love our Lord. And that's what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 13, verse 9. Look down. When he lists all of these other commandments, if we love perfectly, then we would not commit adultery. We would not murder. And we would not steal. We would not covet. He's saying, scratch all of the commandments and sum them all up and saying this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Lord knows how often I fail and how largely I fail in this area. Um, And because of it, my lack of love for others drags me into a spiritual apathy, which Paul is about to warn us of in verses 11 through 14. Therefore, I present to you another reason why you should listen tonight, why you should heed the word of God tonight, because I know that when we lack in the foundation to love, We are sure to fail in the pursuit of holiness. So what does it look like for us practically to grow in the area of love? Oftentimes my mom will call me and she lives in South Carolina now. uh, And she will say to me, hey, son, just calling to remind you, you still have a mother. Uh, And it's really sad. And then my heart drops. And I remember once again how often I fail in loving others, even my own mother. So the love we ought to show should be shown to your parents. I mean, especially if you're living at home while you go to college and you work, 
and they only ever see you like one minute out of the week, uh, the least you can do is call them and tell them you love them. I'm sure my mom would love that. Um, what about love towards our friends? Right? Well, for me, it's not calling Nick an idiot every five seconds, but it's loving on him. Right? It's humbling myself before my friends. It's caring for their souls. It's investing into their lives. It's asking them, how can I pray for you? How's your family doing? How are you doing spiritually? I don't think we have those kind of uh, conversations too often. What about love towards Christ's bride, his church? How do we do that? Well, maybe it's when uh, the elders ask us to greet one another on Sunday mornings and we put our head down and we only talk to our friends. What about talking to people who uh, we don't know, who are not like us? It's showing love to people who aren't always the same as us. And that's okay because we have one thing in common that Christ died for us and for our sins. And he showed us that love. So we can show love to others. The foundation to love. Is that our foundation tonight? Read on with me in verse 11 of Romans 13. Verse 11. He says, do this, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. So point number two, the time to awaken. The time to awaken. You hearing this message tonight and you reading this passage is your last alarm. It's your last alarm. There are no more snooze buttons. This is it. Um, And while studying this, for some reason, I remember the death of Michael Jackson. Um, I hate that I have to explain who he is, but for those of you who don't know who he is, and I won't call out who I introduced Michael Jackson to, um, he is the king of pop, right? You literally look up king of pop in Google and his name comes up, Michael Jackson, Um, His music was like nothing else. The world loved him and still does. He was the biggest star in the world. And his concert titled, This Is It, was set to be his final concert before his retirement. It was the end for him. And people were waiting for this show. All the true fans were crying when they got their tickets, right? They needed to be at his last concert. This is it. But months before the show was set to take place, Michael Jackson died unexpectedly leaving the world shocked and undone. And I remember my own dad weeping at home over this news as he's watching this uh, because he really wanted to go to that concert. And he loved Michael Jackson growing up. And he's, he's gone. Nobody expected it and nobody was prepared. But friends, I fear that we will be met with a similar, yet much more serious surprise very soon. We have this unplanned and far out date of when Christ will return in our own thoughts. And so we wait, right? We wait unprepared. We wait unmotivated and we wait spiritually apathetic. No sense of urgency and no fear of the Lord. But I am warning you tonight that there is no more time left. There's no more time. Revelation sixteen fifteen. turn there with me. Revelation 16, 15. Underline it, write it down. 
Revelation 16, 15. It says this. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes, so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. He is coming like a thief. And this is exactly what Paul is telling us in Romans chapter 13. The time that Paul is referring to in verse 11 is now. It's the present time. Right now, our last opportunity to demonstrate faith in Christ and love towards one another. And he goes on to say that it is already the hour for us to awaken from sleep. It's already here. We slept in. There's no more snooze buttons. You will be late if you hit the snooze one more time. The Encyclopedia Britannica defines sleep as a state of inactivity with a loss of consciousness and a decrease in responsiveness to events taking place. And so Paul is calling us to awaken from our spiritual sleep, to awaken from our unconcern, from our apathy, and from our lack of urgency, to wake up. And Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 through 7, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. Look at back at Romans 13, verse 11. Paul goes on to say, For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Salvation here is not referring to being redeemed by Christ, but rather the completion of salvation. Salvation here is referring to the day of the Lord, when Christ will return again and take his children up with him for eternity. Romans 13, verse 12, the night is almost gone and the day is near. Our time of unbelief, our time of sinful rebellion, our time of spiritual apathy is coming to a close and God's time of glory and judgment is about to begin. It may still be possible that even with these warnings, you still have doubts that Christ could return at any moment. So you leave tonight mocking his word with no sense of urgency to turn to Christ or to crush your spiritual apathy. And so I'll read for you 2 Peter chapter 3. Turn there with me. 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter 3, verses 3 through 9. It says, Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at the time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. 
But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. One thing I can tell you with 100% certainty, uh, and I'll put the money to the bank with this, is within 100 years, you will either die and come face to face with Jesus Christ and, and be in his judgment, or the Lord will return. 100% certainty. We've seen so far the foundation to love. Number one, the foundation to love, that love fulfills the law. Therefore, we must love in order to fulfill any of the Lord's commandments for us. And we've seen, number two, the time to awaken is now. Because Christ will return sooner than when we believed. And now, number three, the way to finish. The way to finish. Verse 12, look down. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Paul's concern for us now is our sanctification. If we are truly his children, then we will put off the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Put on Jesus Christ. The night is gone and it is now daytime. So why do we still put, do the things that we do at night? So if we are awake spiritually, then why would we continue to do things that are normally done at night? If we've been truly redeemed and clothed with Christ's righteousness, then why do we continue to put ourselves, put onto ourselves filthy rags? Paul urges us to put on the armor of light, to gear up for battle. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 11 through 12. Verse 11 says this, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of the wickedness in the heavenly places. First Timothy 1, 18 through 19, Timothy, my son, Fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith. James 4, verse 7. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Oftentimes as Christians, we might uh, find ourselves not geared up, not ready for battle. And so when the time comes, when a trial comes, we fall on our face 
and it hurts because we're not ready. We don't have our scripture memorized and we don't run to prayer. When we are tempted by sin, we fall because we're not ready. We don't have scripture memorized. We don't have people in our lives to keep us accountable and we don't turn to prayer. We're not ready. We're not geared up. In fact, it's much easier for us to gear down, isn't it? We allow ourselves to watch the occasional rated R movie, um, to listen to explicit music, to make the occasional crude joke. And as long as it's with our closest friends, then it's okay, right? Because they know we're Christians and they know we're just joking. But let that not be our attitude. In order to wake up spiritually and be ready for Christ's return, Paul gives us a list of things we must constantly put off. In verse 13, look down. He says, let us behave properly as in the day. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Paul gives us six words here to put off, and they come in Paris. So I'm going to break this down into three categories. So point A, our lack of self-control. Our lack of self-control. It says, let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing. And drunkenness. Paul is talking about wild parties. He's talking about orgies and getting drunk. And what is the root of all these things? A lack of self-control. Galatians 5 verse 21. Drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. How many areas of our lives do we express a lack of self-control? Our eating habits, playing video games throughout the night, staying out too late with friends when we have responsibilities in the morning, spending two hours watching TikToks. And TikTok just sneaks up on you, man. I would, watch, <laughs> I, would, uh, I would be laying at bed at night and I'd watch that thing for like two hours without even knowing. Um, and that's one of the main reasons why I deleted it, besides the fact that they banned a pro-life account. But besides the fact, are we exercising self-control in our lives? If not, we might be allowing ourselves to fall into some spiritual apathy. Self-control. We need self-control. Point B, our lack of purity. Our lack of purity. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. It's all around us today in America, isn't it? It's on every TV show. It's on every commercial. It's on our, every billboard. It's in our mu- music and the movies we watch. But what's it going to take to turn the channel? What's it going to take for us to stop compromising in this entertainment that we constantly feed ourselves? Then we wonder why we're not geared up. Why it's always so easy to fail When we're tempted by sin. What walls are we putting up? What road blockers are we putting in front of ourselves? What accountability do we have in our lives? 2 Timothy 2 verse 22. An awesome verse to memorize. It says, Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. With fellow believers. Don't do it alone. 
What's it going to take for us to flee, though? Sensuality is interesting, too, and this is a sneaky one. Um, It's the sexual joke. It's the long stare. It's the lustful thought. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, turn there with me. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 27 through 30. Verse 27, you have heard it that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. We praise God for his omniscience, but then we ignore the fact that he knows our every thought. Point C, our lack of harmony. Our lack of harmony. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. This is the opposite of our God, the opposite of love. Strife refers to the constant bickering, the passing on of rumors, the petty disagreement, the stubbornness to have it our way, no matter what the cost or no matter what the harm to others. And strife and jealousy inhibits unity between believers. And it is extremely divisive. Proverbs 13 verse 10 says, Through presumption comes nothing but strife. 1 Corinthians 3 3, For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? 1 Timothy 6 4, He is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, and evil suspicions. Um, And please don't make the assumption that strife and jealousy are any less of sins than our adultery, our sexual sins, our murder, because they're all the same in the eyes of the Lord. So Paul warns us of our lack of self-control, our lack of purity, and our lack of harmony, all of which are inhibiting us from the image of Christ, from reflecting the image of Christ. And all of these are things we must constantly put off or else we risk falling into a spiritual apathy. Finally, in the way to finish, Paul tells us what to put on. How do we finish? Well, we put off all of those things. And then we put on this, verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. The word put on means to clothe yourself. Christians are to clothe themselves with Christ. Um, If our faith inside is genuine, then why isn't it showing on the outside? Our faith should be shown On the inside and outside, it's a continual spiritual growth, a a continual pursuit of um, sanctification 
and a continual pursuit of holiness. As we put off the deeds of darkness and as we put off those evil and filthy rags, we are putting on his clothing of righteousness, of truth, of holiness, and of love. Galatians 5 verse 24 through 25 tells us, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Our faith should not be a secret that we hold inside, but rather something that is so evident for everyone to see in every area of our lives. Back in Romans 13, verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Make no provision, make no exception. This is planning ahead. Right? If you lack in self-control and you constantly find yourself watching TikTok for two hours, then delete the app. Right? If you have a history of drunkenness, don't hang around your unbelieving friends who still drink. Don't go to that party full of alcohol and weed and make the excuse, well, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to hang out with them and be with them. It's their birthday party. Um, if you're trying to lose weight, don't drive near the McDonald's. Don't drive in the McDonald's parking lot. Don't drive in the drive-thru. Don't order and don't put the food in your mouth, right? Plan ahead and make no provision for the flesh. Listen, all of this is in an effort to pursue holiness and to crush our spiritual apathy and to be ready for the return of Christ. If you leave with one thing tonight, I hope it's the urgency to evaluate your faith. 2 Peter 1 calls us to be diligent in evaluating and being sure of our salvation. And my fear is that some of you are still holding on to a prayer you prayed in high school when you were younger. And even though your life displays nothing of Christ, we need to be sure because if not, it's our eternal souls at stake. Um, I had a friend, they're not here today. So you don't have to look around, but um, who grew up in the church and would tell everybody he was saved. Um, And everyone would believe him. And I believed he was saved. But one day out of nowhere, he texts me saying this. He said, this is going to confuse you at first, but I just got saved. I have said I was and believed I was, but I knew in my heart I wasn't. And I have put on a false image my whole life. I sat down this morning and I read my Bible for the first time in years, really. And I was so broken and I wrote down questions and reasons for why I was saved. And I realized I wasn't. I went to class and was miserable all day until I realized I needed to confess and ask Christ and completely depend on him. Praise the Lord that he didn't hold on to the lie of his salvation, his false salvation but praise the lord that he evaluated his faith and so i urge you to do the same turn with me lastly to matthew chapter 7 matthew chapter 7 verses 21 to 23 it says this Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. And those who repent and have genuine faith in Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross will enter the kingdom of heaven. But those who don't will enter an eternal life in hell where God's wrath will be poured constantly for eternity. Don't leave your eternal souls at stake, but instead run to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love on us, for your sovereign plan over our lives, even through this fear of the coronavirus and through any other trials we may have in life. Lord, thank you for your love and thank you for sending your son down on earth to live the perfect life, to die the death that we deserve, bearing all the pain, bearing all the punishment for our sins. Lord, thank you for that love. And I pray that we would love others in that same way, that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and that we would love others as ourselves, and that we would be in constant evaluation of our own faith to cut out the spiritual apathy and to run to Jesus with full passion, with full desire, and with full faith. Lord, thank you for all that you do for us, for all the ways that you bless us. We love you. We thank you for your son. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Before we sing this next song, I do want you guys, us included, take a moment.